0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Hello, folks. I am John Najarian, and this is Compound Interests. Compound Interests. Every week I get to talk to luminaries in various fields. They could be actors on the stage uh, screen. They could be musical. They could be Venture capitalists, they could be traders this week. I have Stevie Vicks. The pleasure of uh, having Stevie on here is that um, he is a very thoughtful guy about uh, systems, as you'll hear when he starts talking about crypto, because he's going to talk about cryptocurrencies as well. And he's going to tell you what exactly he thinks about Bitcoin. But this is a guy that's Stanford educated, came out in Silicon Valley. Um, was part of the dot bomb era, and then migrated over to Wall Street and became a fabulous success there. And now he writes deep, uh, thoughtful papers on the VIX uh, and how to hedge because as you know, most of you who are listening, the VIX moves inverse to the stock market. So it's one of the best hedges that we know of. So I think you're really going to enjoy this deep dive into markets, cryptocurrencies and so forth with Stevie Vicks. Take a listen.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. Very excited to be on, John.
1: Oh, cool. Well, now, Stevie, uh, even though I attended Berkeley um, and noted from your resume that you attended Stanford, I'm not going to hold that against you.
0: (laughs) I I hope so.
1: (laughs) But I am going to say that it's probably not going to surprise too many of the listeners that, A gentleman who went to Stanford, came out of Stanford, and didn't go directly to Wall Street, but instead, you know, probably got talked into hanging out with some of his friends and creating a dot-com back in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s. Please,
0: tell us about that. that.
1: (laughs) Tell us about the company. Tell us about, you know, I'm, I'm imagining it's a bunch of Stanford guys, whether they were classmates or graduates or whatever. I'm guessing it was a bunch of those that you guys got together and said, "Hey, we got a solution for whatever it is. Let's go for it."
0: Um, yeah, unfortunately, it kind of it was a lot more boring than that. But uh, uh, my uh, the company was called ImproveNet. Um, it, you know, you see it today in HomeAdvisor, a website that matches contractors, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know. It's just a job i found after after college uh, everybody wanted to do the you know the dot com stuff and th- that's what i found to do um it was very exciting you know three years it went public it was great um you know it went from zero you know i was like the fifth employee it went from five to like 400 employees very quickly but it went public in um, march of 2000 right at the peak No, oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> And the stock went from 16 to $1 in like five days. Um, and so nobody made any money out of it. Um, we're just unlucky with the timing. But it was a great experience. And from there on, I, I moved on to New York. I moved to New York. Um, actually, a couple of days before September eleventh, I moved to New York. And then from there on, I found my way to Wall Street. Wow.
1: Well, your, your timing was questionable. <laughs> on <laughs> getting to New York a few days before 9-11. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, that that is uh, It's still one of my favorite cities, but I'm so sad, Stevie, that they have screwed it up so badly. Um, and people could take that as political if they want to, but the bottom line is people have to feel safe. Families, women, um, men need to feel safe in their neighborhoods. And if you're letting people loot and riot, in your neighborhoods up and down Lexington and Madison and Fifth Avenue, you know, famous areas of New York. Uh, Although, of course, I do care just as much about people who are in poor areas of New York. But when you're seeing that, you will see a flight. Now, I'm not saying that real estate has to crash in New York. I'm not um, James Altucher saying New York is done. I'm not that guy. But I'm also kind of recognizing the idea that people need to feel safe in their city, and they need to know that the government's behind them um, and making things better for them, rather than, you know, pulling back the police and letting things get worse. Sure. Yeah.
0: Except for you know, you gotta remember that New York the standards are a little low. I mean, I you know. <laughs> You know, I used to live in Queens, there was a guy running around with a big knife, you know, on the street every other day. I mean, that stuff happens. You know, when like two uh, uh, cab drivers get in a the fight, they pull out the bat, start smashing each other. I mean, you know, New York is a interesting place, you know. So so some of the images that you see right now, uh, you know, I, I don't know, for New Yorkers, are kind of everyday experience. <laughs>
1: yeah. New York is a—it's a wonderful and very unique place. Um, obviously, you know the the great melting pot, one of the biggest uh, uh, cities in the world, and also uh, one of the most diverse um, in the world. There are a lot of big cities that are um, pretty similar—the uh, the the makeup of the background of the people that live there. But New York—it's everybody. New York is very unique.
0: In America, New York is very unique. You know, it's very large and, you know, I've I've lived in San Francisco. I've traveled to different cities. Maybe Miami now approaches it uh, in terms of cosmopolitan style, but uh, yeah, there's nothing like it elsewhere, but it's, you know, New York is a rough city. I mean, you know, just to begin with.
1: (laughs) Now, Stevie, um, so you're out of Silicon Valley you had this you know, potential to get rich with this IPO, and then like you say, timing was off. Um, but timing was pretty good on you getting into Wall Street after 9-11, because you know, there were probably a lot of folks that didn't want to be there anymore, and yet you just got there and wanted to dig in. So tell us a little bit about starting up, where you started, and where you got to on Wall Street.
0: So my background is a, as a software developer, um, you know, I, I wasn't originally a trader. I was a software developer, um, and so I, uh, you know, was a technical architect at Goldman Sachs for their merchant banking division. I worked at uh, Royal Bank of Scotland for a few years. Um, I also worked at a couple of they're called fund of funds. So these are not hedge funds. These are funds that invest in hedge funds. So they do the due diligence of investing in hedge funds. So I built a lot of systems around reporting and around investing, you know, merchant banking is really private equity. So a lot of private equity investing and a lot of investing in hedge funds. So um, I, I learned a lot about the strategies, um, you know, that they use and how they trade the market in, you know, in case of the hedge funds. And we had a very unique view because the the fund the funds that I used to uh, work at, they would track 2000 hedge funds. I mean, every hedge fund in existence is there you know what they invest in, you know how they invest in, you evaluate them, uh, you know, you fire them, you know, you take money in, you take money out, that that was a decision that we made. Um, So, uh, you know, it's a lot of technical analysis, a lot of analytics, Uh, you know, people don't invest, um, you know, people think, oh, you're just investing in a hedge fund, you know, people are putting millions of dollars, they have, you know, they have private detective looks looking at the private lives of these guys, what they do, who their girlfriends are at the same time they have a lot of analytics if he de- it deviates from the strategy they you know there's analytics to show you that they immediately pull the plug um so it's a pretty complex operation that they run to um you know um, so so the the thing to understand is um when prof- um uh, you know these fund the funds are hired by professional institutions like uh, College endowments or uh, pension funds. So, so, you know, they have to make like seven or eight percent a year. So, when these people invest, they cannot invest in a stock market. They cannot say, like, oh, you know what, I'm going to invest in a stock market, and one year is going to be up 20 percent, next year is going to be down 20 percent. Down 20 percent is not an ac- uh, acceptable outcome for the professional investors. So, you have to have a hedging strategy. That's why they invest in hedge funds. Right. So these hedge funds they spend a lot of money on hedging. So they have their strategy, their long certain stocks, but they always have to have a hedge on in case something bad happens in the market for whatever reason. So they're willing to sacrifice upside for um you know for stability of the of the of the return. So they lose less when the market goes down and they make less on the way up, and that's the way it is, and that's how they've grown, grown over the last 20 to 30 years. So that, in turn, um, kind of provides a market for the VIX. You know, there's a steady stream of buyers there that that, that, that that market, the derivative market exists because there is a need, this jam need for hedging from the hedge mm-hmm. funds, which is demanded by the institutional investors. Sure. So that's something that people don't understand when you discuss on TV. They always talk about, oh, if you just buy and hold Right, why would you, why would anybody use hedge funds? Well, that's the reason why the hedge fund industry exists.
1: Yeah, yeah, very well explained too, Stevie. Um, Obviously, one of the ways that people use the VIX, you know, which you use in your name, (laughs) one of the ways they use the VIX is because it's an inverse uh, uh, instrument, it moves inverse to the market almost always. Not always, but you know, a high degree, you know ninety percent of the time the vix is moving down when the market 's moving up or at least it 's flat the mix vix is definitely moving up, and that 's almost a one hundred percent correlation when the market is going down yeah. um, you know so it 's that inverse uh, side of the vix that makes it a great hedging tool for some of those big funds that you talked about. but one of the things that while you were saying that Stevie um, that kind of resonated with me is uh, um, billions. And uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin's, uh, of course, uh, wonderful story about uh, uh, Bobby Axelrod and, you know, people in his hedge fund space, you know, whether it's Stevie Cohen or whether it's a combination of Stevie Cohen and he mixed in a little bit of uh, Howard Ludnick over at uh, Cantor Fitz because Howard famously was one of the only people not in Cantor, sadly, when the towers came down, his brother died up in those towers, but he kind of weaves a little bit of all of that into the story of uh this uh fictitious uh hedge fund up in Connecticut, and one of the things that hedge fund does is exactly the sort of thing you described. You described people investigating the hedge fund by saying, "I want to know who he's dating. I want to know you know, is this guy stable uh you know hiring a private detective and all that and you know Bobby Axelrod, at least in Billions, that's what he does, too, to his competitors and to perhaps the uh, um, Attorney General of New York, uh, right. you know, and all that sort of thing. So, you know, Paul Giamatti. Um, so I, I, I love that. Uh, I love the first couple seasons of it. I must admit, Stevie, that even though I enjoyed it, I haven't watched the last couple seasons. Are you a fan of Billions is my first question.
0: Yeah, I I like the show. I watched the first uh, season. I I think the first couple of seasons I watched, yeah. And then you faded off too? Yeah, then I faded out, yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, I'm not even sure why I faded out on that one. It was just some of the stories, and I'll tie this in to one of the things that you're launching now, because we have a crypto um, side of our business over at Market Rebellion, and you were nice enough to send me some of your big macro deep dive on crypto um, that you do for your subscribers and things like that, um, one of the things that I thought was kind of funky, and I guess it kind of turned me off was i don 't think Sorkin really knew what he was talking about about crypto because one of the ways that you know he he made it sound like uh, Bobby got you know a bunch of money stolen from him by one of his employees or whatever in crypto and I don't think he, I think he understood just enough about crypto to be dangerous. Right. Um, Sorkin, that is. And uh, allegedly, I think that episode might have been the last one I watched. Okay. (laughs) You know what? I'd love to tell you how to write these, Andrew. I can't write like Andrew Ross Sorkin, but I can give him the overall story. I bet
0: you could too, Stevie. Uh, crypto is a complicated subject, uh, crypto is a complicated subject, but no, Billions is a great show, I loved it, everything in that, in that show, at least the first season that I watch is true, you know, I think they've done a phenomenal job uh, merging various different hedge fund characters, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great show and all of that is true. All <laughs> 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 oh, the crazy people, they all do that stuff, there's a lot of pressure, oh, a lot I of money. You.
1: One of the guys I've got to get on, Stevie, is I'm friendly with the guys that work at Hindenburg Research. And, you know, some of my best friends just hate those guys, hate those guys, because, of course, they're short sellers and they feed short sellers great information. At least, you know, what purports to be great information, it's up to the buyer, you know, to make that decision um, whether or not to short that stock or buy puts or however you might trade that particular one. I was already in puts in Nicola when all of a sudden, luckily days later, they came out with their report um, and they just slammed it. And now it's resulted in, you know, Trevor Mint- Minter or whatever. I forget his name, but the, the, the CEO had to step down this week and yeah. had to forego like 160 million in uh, his stock and 20 million in salary and all kinds of things. And I'm sure that uh, Barra over at GM is not happy about, uh, you know, what's transpired. I'm sure she's pounded the doors of some of the folks and said, you did your due diligence on this dude, right? I mean, he really has something, doesn't he? Or was that just an empty truck rolling downhill?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know it, that th- that's an interesting story. I I I I like Nikola. Actually, you know, I have some little bit of investment in Nikola. I like the idea. Uh, I, I like covered the idea my of shorts, by the way. Huh? I covered my sh-
1: I covered my shorts. Oh, you covered your shorts. Yeah. Oh.
0: I mean, the idea there is to, it's not really the electric, the electric truck is a good idea. It's a shame that Tesla hasn't come up with a nice truck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, trucks are the best selling uh, vehicle in the US, right? I mean, it's kind of like, how do you not have a truck, right? So that's right. one good idea. But the bigger idea is really the long haul trucks powered by hydrogen. That's really uh, uh, I, I've, I, a friend of mine a long time ago dissuaded me from from, keeping my stock in Tesla because he said hydrogen one day is going to replace the electrical, the electrical battery car. Um, And I think he's going to be right. And, you know, the biggest threat to Tesla is hydrogen. And that company, the reason why I'm invested in it is because I think that technology, they may not have it now, they may have it in, you know, in a few years, ultimately is a better technology than, than, uh, than what Tesla is doing.
1: Well, that will be interesting. Um, I I mean,
0: the, the, the US military right now has hydrogen cars that drive a thousand miles. So basically you have a little hydrogen cell, it powers a little electrical motor on, so they put it in, it's dead quiet, and it goes a thousand miles. Right now, the US military uses that. So if you make that, you know, a mainstream, um, you know, and then when you, the hydrogen, so when it burns, it burns, uh, you know, um, you know, burns water and air, right? Clean air. So, so it's a very clean technology, right? So, so if they figure it out, and the, the thing about NICWA is kind of a mixture between Exxon and a Tesla. So they, they wanna build out the hydrogen infrastructure, basically like gas stations, and they, they wanna have a product like a truck or long hole trucks that, that will use these stations. So, I think the business plan is brilliant, you know. Um, now, you know, I, I'm actually happy that, and, and you know, the thing, the thing people lose lose sight of it is not just GM, it's also Bosch and a bunch of European manufacturers are involved in this. And, you know, Europe is big behind the hydrogen. America, if you have a democratic government, they're going to be big behind hydrogen. They're going to money. Yeah.
1: Japan really is. I think it's Toyota on, on that side. It really is pushing hydrogen hard and saying this is the future rather than lithium-ion yeah. batteries.
0: Yeah. So the guy, you know, you're right. He's kind of uh, you know, I, I don't know about the guy, but I think institutionally, all these big companies are pushing that in that direction.
1: Now, let me give you a couple catalysts, Stevie, um, and I promised you we're not going to talk politics, and I'm gonna, I'm a man of my word. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we both know politics are a catalyst. But let me go over 2020 so far and then see how this would have fit into, you know, how you use your models um, to basically write these thoughtful papers that you do write, you know, these deep dives on volatility and so forth, the VIX Contango. So 2020 begins, everything's fine. All of a sudden people start getting sicker and sicker and we move into February and people are accelerating Getting more and more sick, and they're starting to say, "Well, this this COVID's going to be a little worse than the flu," and then it starts getting worse and worse. And by the end of February, we're pretty sure this is going to be bad, and the market starts tumbling, um, and we're rocketing down in March. You know, we're seeing thousand-point down days, two thousand-point down days, things like that. Just bang, 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 bang as people are getting liquidated out during that fall. Then you have Mohammed bin Salman, um, MBS, all of a sudden deciding to, uh, you know what, Putin's not going to play ball, so I'm going to screw him. I'm going to pump, I'm going to open everything up, pump like crazy um, because I've got the lowest cost production on the planet, baby. I'm going to hurt him. And then Putin reminds him, you know, you have to provide checks for an awful lot of people in Saudi Arabia. You might not want to drive this down to zero. (laughs) So, They more or less settle their little blood feud. Um, But in the meantime, crude oil goes all the way to negative pricing for one day, but it went all the way down there. And we know it was because of the contract expiring and all that. You had to take delivery and people couldn't take delivery because all the basically vessels to store it, whether it's land-based or water-based, were taken. You know, they were full. So you had nowhere to put it. So, of course, it goes to negative pricing for a while, which accelerates the fall in the market because, you know, all of a sudden everybody looks at frackers and drillers and all the rest and says, how are we going to let this happen when these are the biggest job, you know, construction and energy are the two biggest job uh, providers in the country. Um, You know, obviously, Walmart and Amazon are the biggest employers, but the biggest amount of Americans work in energy or construction. And that ripples through the entire economy. So it accelerates, they threw gasoline on the fire. Then we get down to that level where between Congress with the CARES Act and the Fed, they both juice the market like crazy. Almost back to back, just bang, bang. And then Trump starts talking about vaccine and all the rest of that crap, whether whether we finally get it and when we finally get it, God only knows. But the market starts, bottoming and starts this v-shaped recovery goes all the way up until you know reoccurrences in June it goes back down because of protests or whatever the reason whatever the catalyst for the outbreak again so anyway I'm, I'm kind of painting this picture of there's all these catalysts and meanwhile Vic spiked to 80 on the drop and then goes hammering back down as we rally back up how do you as a guy who as you say uses programming uses um all these models that you have how do you model for something like that stevie
0: <laughs> so um yeah so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so it, it's a crazy year i have to say it's like you know for for what we provide it's been the best year you know <laughs> for for our algos you know which you know the more volatility you give it the better, but you know basically our approach is not to kind of buy and hold right um you know if you had you had a lot of sleepless night if you did that this year yep. our approach is to time and leverage. so basically get in and get out and then when you have these big runs and big moves up and down just try to capture majority of these moves right so um wh- while i do in my newsletters talk about the catalysts and talk about fundamentals all of my strategies are based on technicals, right? So on my website, we have, so I I, I look at a lot of technicals, you know, trend technicals, mean reversion technicals, volatility technicals, and when I go into volatility, that means realized volatility, intraday volatility, implied volatility, VIX and VIX futures. So, you know, I look at all these indicators, we have reports, on top of these things, In these indicators, I run back tests. I run back tests to figure out uh, which of these indicators is working. So if I, I, for example, trade spy with when it's above the 50-day moving average or below, what's my return, right? So I keep continuously tracking. So I call this factor labs. So basically we see which factors, which indicators, combination of indicator and value, works at any specific point in time, right? So so the market, so so a lot of people they they create a some kind of a formula, some kind of a back tested signal and then it stops working after a while, right? The mm-hmm. reason is because the market adjusts to it and then you the market uses new new indicators is hitting to make money. So so I have a system that allows me to find what these indicators are, right? Um, and in addition I have I have basically, I've synthesized this to three signals. One that tells me when to invest in UPRO, which is a leveraged S&P 500, it's called Smart UPRO. I have another signal, Smart VXX, which tells me when to invest in VXX, uh, which is a long VIX ETF. And then a Smart SVIXE, which is a Smart Short VIX ETF, right? So so these the, the, the signals they run and basically tell you when to get involved. So they could spend a lot of times, not you know off so so this year what happened is like came March um, first of all the the smart U Pro got out right it sold then the smart VX turned on right and then it turned on and then it stayed on for basically for majority of a for majority of March. So it made like 150% right if you put leverage TVX you probably made even more money. Uh, but you know for, you know, we just use VXX, 150%. Then the market bottom, you know, I, I could kind of tell it was a bottom, you know, when they put all this, all the stimulus, you know, they put about six billion in stimulus between the fiscal and the balance sheet expansion. Six trillion. <laughs> six trillion, yeah, sorry, yeah. six trillion, yeah. <laughs> which is like three times as much as anything else before, you know, two, two billion, two trillion was the most before. So they really jacked it up, so at that point, smart you Pro turned on, right <laughs> so then it's made a couple of trades It's up like sixty seventy percent so So uh, you know, I, I do follow this stuff, but at the same time, the reason why people use my website is to get these signals because they really don't care about the fundamentals. They just say it's a good time to be long the market now, you know for whatever reason, there is a trend, or volatility is declining, you know, there's a number of technical factors that you can, that you can, uh, that, that can justify a long position, or likewise, for example, we go long, uh, you know, go long VIX, because why? Because the VIX is very high, it keeps increasing, we have a huge backwardation in the curve, so it helps, uh, you know, um, that there is a, there's an upward trend that you can take advantage of, right? So so these are all back-tested. So this has happened before. So uh, when you have a back-test, you have the confidence uh, that you're not gonna get whiplashed and so forth. There's a lot of whiplashing in the market. Um, the the algos that I have, they kind of look at trends that have happened at least a week, you know, so the trade can go for a week or two or a month, right? So, so they, they don 't get involved if the indicators are too close when there's a potential for whiplash they don 't get involved they only get involved when you have a clear cut clear cut runway right and so so if you have signals like that you know, and I believe that if you I, I basically personally believe every investment class having been in the financial industry, everything is upon the scheme right <laughs> Everything can go down ninety percent so, so, so I think that you have to if you rely on yourself right if you don 't rely on the government. Um, you have to have a hedging strategy. Um, So you can either pay with options or you can have a signal to get out, right? So these are two ways to do it. And I choose that first way. And a lot of people like that. My clients are mostly people that are, um, uh, you know, they're mass affluent people. You know, they're professionals. They're, uh, uh, you know, CEO of a manufacturing company, a doctor, surgeon, you know, people like that. Um, You know, they have... You know, a million or something like that to invest, um, and a lot of them agree with that. They don't want to be invested when in the market, but they don't want to be sweating it when it's going down. They don't want to be out, um, and they do know that the market will go and they'll go through these runs. They want to be in it. So, um, and at the same time, they don't want to trade options. You know, or the, there's there's a lot of trading there. They don't have the time to do that, right? So they just want something to give them four or five trades a year. Um, and that's what our algo's do. You know, they're they're very like kind of easy to grow. I mean, you can almost like make an ETF. I mean, you know? <laughs> if, if if you want.
1: If you went back, Stevie, uh, like maybe five years, what would you say the average number of times um, either that bullish or bearish indicator goes off per year? Is it like you say maybe four times a year that all of a sudden one of your indicators gets so? overbought or oversold that you well, say?
0: you know, it's been different. So, for example, uh, I started the site in 2015. Mm-hmm. And at that time, like, short ball was the trade, right? Like, earnings are going up, the economy is doing well. It's basically, you have a big contango in the vix curve, and you're just short ball. So, that was a fairly straightforward trade, right? So, I mean, basically, we're investing most, almost all the time. Uh, in in XAV around that period of time, so that ran to 2017. So the short vol was going on for a long time. So then 2018 came. So Trump started the trade war. Um, at that point, the VIX went up. You lost the contango, so there's no more contango. So basically, there's no there's no money in that trade. Um, so at that point, it turned off. And they've been turned off for basically for three years. The short, the short vix algo's have been turned off for three years. Um, at the same time, the long vix algo was off. You know, during that good period when short vix ended, it was off for like four or five years, right? There was no trade there to do, um, and it it, really, it didn't it, it didn't turn on in 2018. It was very volatile, but there was no like kind of a period of time where you could trade it long vix very well, except for the end of 2018 for for a brief period. So it didn't turn on until this year, you know, it's the the, the the long VIX one just turned on for the first time in five years this year, then it made 150%, right? Um, the SmartView Pro, you know, was, uh, you know, it was basically long, all of 17, long all of, uh, you know, a couple of times in, you know, 18, it kind of navigated semi success, I mean, you know, returned 30%. Uh, in 19, was on the entire year, you know, it returned 70%, you know. The year was up like 30%. Um, this year it's made two trades. You know, it was kind of, it got out, you know, my algos are very risk averse. They get out before travel hits. Um, so they'll miss out some potential upside, but get out before travel hits. Um, so, you know, it got out, uh, got out in March, got back in like in, you know, in April, you know, got out a little bit around June and got back in July, you know, so um, it, you know, actually got out, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it almost got out right at the top, you know, it's some kind of bizarre. It almost timed the top perfectly. But
1: yeah, right around the time when that Gamma Gambit, the uh, SoftBank was identified as trying to goose the market with their, uh, um, you know, apparently they'd done it, you know, for months already, Stevie. But when they kind of got caught and, Maybe they made more than enough on the way up. That would be my way of thinking of it. But the way uh, Yahoo and uh, Business Insider and the Wall Street Journal wrote it up, SoftBank got tagged on that, you know, basically trying to goose uh, the upside by buying all these calls. You know, they, they weren't buying stocks they were or futures. They were buying calls uh, to goose the market up. But yeah. to a certain extent, that kind of works because if you've timed it right and you're getting things to the upside, a lot of the people who sold you that upside have to start covering, you yeah. know, because as you know, as a derivatives trader, you know, some, when they sold it, maybe it was a 20, vol, uh, 20 delta call when they sold it. But so the guy only had to buy one fifth as many shares to cover the upside of, against that call. all of a sudden it becomes a 40 delta 50 delta 50s at the money of course it becomes an at the money now you're screwed because now you've got to really own a lot of stock
0: yeah i mean mean, these are these are kind of generally pretty these moments like the end of this year or um you know before volmageddon they're actually fairly easy things to capture because basically what happens is, you know, so you have this big spike in the market very quickly. The VIX tends to go up with it. So when the VIX goes up together with the market, basically what's happening is um, the banks are hedging for for the activity of the market participants, right? So they're doing the other side of the trade. So, so when the things start to move, they have to basically buy stock to hedge their short They're option shorts, right? Which are the long calls, right? So so when you get into that scenario, you get the both SPX up and VIX up. And basically that tells you, and you know, for not for one day, you know, for you get it for like a week or something like that. And and then that basically tells you this is not a sustained price move. This is basically the the dealers are responding to 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 artificial demand. You know, there's no equilibrium in the market, they just kind of have to respond to artificial. For whatever that reason is, right? The in 17 was enthusiasm. I think you know the sub bank purchases are more politically motivated, but um, the whatever that reason is, you know, basically the banks are uh, you know are hedging themselves for this for this activity. You see that in the VIX rising, and that's a fairly easy thing to catch. You know, it doesn't happen very often, though, you know, so right.
1: Well, to to that, um, was that too quick a move for your? Um, strategies to catch or were you able to catch some of that? You mean to the downside? Yeah.
0: Uh no, no. My, my, mine got out like a day before the the day, the day before like the final move up. So if, like it missed like one percent up, but it got out before the downside move. So so the VIX hit moved up enough to where like the signal triggered. Um you know so 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 it got out almost at the top. You know, for the one in June it got out after it dropped. So so there it had a loss. But you know the overall trade was up thirty percent. You know, so it, it was still good. Uh, but yeah, I mean the again, like the 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 you know the advantage we have is we watch all these um, all these indicators of they change and they do change. Uh, which indicator is is the best one? So for example, for m- many years like Contango was a very good indicator. All of a sudden, like. Uh, volatility, momentum indicators start to become very, uh, start to make a lot of money, you know, the VIX spiking sharply and above, you know, the 10 or 20 day moving average, and then like going up to like 40, 50 and then selling out there. So, so at some point those strategies start to, like over the last two years, that has been making a lot of money, right? So, so, so uh, it, it changes what what works. You, you know, you know if, if you ask me like, is there one signal? There's no one signal, right? You have to use multiple signals together to, to identify the situations. And then this, the situations change all the time, right? So short vol was a great trade for many years. Then um, then you have to time the, you, you know, timing UPRO right now is a great trade. You know, the last three years under Trump because he's constantly wants the market at an all time high regardless of what happens. So, so timing UPRO has been a great trade. Uh, I, I think going forward, um i think we're going to be in a period like kind of the after the dot-com era where um i think it's going to be a period where long volatility is going to be a great so so, so going forward it's going to be like being long you know if the market goes down and you're long it and at the same time you're also long volatility that's going to be a great trade you know the hedge fund industry became huge in the uh, early 2000 2000 to 2003 because they made you know the hedges made a lot of when you have a vix of 30 you know, the banks make a lot of money and the hedge funds make a lot of money, right? Yeah. Uh, they get paid for hedging. And at the same time, so they get paid for holding a long position, right? So they, they have stronger hands. So then you have these massive upside moves. So 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 you're going to, the period ahead of us is going to be, um, you know, stocks are very expensive fundamentally. So, so but they're going to go down. When they go down, they're going to go up a lot, right? They go up, up they're going to go down. So it's going to be like a period like the, you know, like the 70s, between 1968 and 1982, there was a 12-year period where you had a 12-year bear market, but it wasn't really a bear market, which is basically a sideways move up and down 50, you know, down 50 percent, up 100 percent, down 50 percent. So, I think we're going to be in a, a period like that for the next few years, um, because um, overall the government is going to change. Uh, you know, we've had a pro-capital government. I think you get Biden, you get the Democratic Senate and the House. You get a pro-labor government. So, so that in turn, you know, you know the markets are not going to have a, as big of a peg. as, They ha, they'll have a peg, but at a much lower level, right? It's not going to be constantly at all-time highs, right? So, uh, the, the the peg will be lower. And so you're going to have a lot of volatility, you know. Uh, You're going to have a lot of volatility. The other reason why you're going to have a lot of volatility is because you have bonds, which basically the yields are at zero. They're going to be at zero for a long time. Um, You're stealing my next question. That was my next
1: question. Um, Do you guys, um, at your firm, Stevie, do you guys track vol for bonds and trade off of that? Because that's like, you know, it's almost zero right it's like you know you're looking at vol of
0: five or whatever so so, so i have a general macro view i issue a macro view every year but uh the 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 site is basically UPRO pro vxx and svx that's it just these three things and we're good at them and we make money out of them and you know we don't deal with single stock risk we don't deal with sector exposures. just the just these three basic components and we try to help People make money that way. Uh, so, so, I do watch bonds. I mean, you know, bond, you know, the, the, have the to. yeah, you have to watch bonds. Uh, you know, the rates are going to go down to zero. So, uh, you know, TOT has another 20, 30% up, something like that. So, so you, know, you know, investors in the Pico right now, that's why I wanted to talk to you about crypto, because that's basically if you're a buy and holder, holder mentality, you have to think outside of bonds, you have to think outside of stocks. Um, you have to go to alternative assets. And um, the, the other reason, so before we go into crypto, the other reason to think about that, I think the world is going to change. So we've had like a 40 year old, 40 year old world of American, down, you know, Soviet Union fell down and America is ruling the world, right? Um, you know, you just have one actor, uh, the USD dollar and America, America's property rights system. So th- that's gonna come under a challenge. So the rest of the world has advanced. So China is a bigger country than it used to be. Uh, Europe is a much bigger economy than it used to be. Uh, Latin America is a bigger economy than it used to be. Um, so um, India is a much bigger economy. I mean, the US as a, as a relation to the globe, it, it becomes smaller and smaller, right? The US GDP, so, so the system doesn't work anymore where the US dollar is basically because the the United, the u s economy can't grow as fast as the rest of the world right so the dollar the America can't just print money like crazy for everybody else to to satisfy the reserve requirement so so um so so that's one issue the other issue is kind of like China you know there there's reasons why they don't want to be like the United States they kind of have their own kind of um communist uh, style capitalism, right? <laughs> um, you know, state state capitalism, so to speak. So so there is gonna be, a. I, I call it the three cartels. The world is gonna break up into, from one world, one global world, into three cartels, and then a cartels. So they basically, the Americas, North and Southern America is one cartel. Um, geopolitical cartel, geoeconomic cartel. Russia, China is another, yeah, Iran, you know, Middle East, there's another cartel. And then Europe is kind of, Europe used to be with the US, but Europe kind of wants to, they get burned by the Trump experience. They know that somebody like Trump can come back again in the United States. So they wanna have an equidistant relationship between China and America. So so they're gonna form their own cartel. And what does that mean? They're gonna have their own pricing for oil, their own pricing for gold. So So what you're gonna end up with, going to end up with three separate systems the chinese are going to say we don't want to settle payments in dollars the americans say we don't want to settle payments in yuan you know they're not going to agree to use the euro so you're going to need something else to come up some another financial system to come up and take the place in this world where these three big players don't trust each other and i think that system is going to be this crypto uh which is Computer-based financial system, right? It's going to come and take its place. So uh, you know, when you want, to, we, we can go diving a little bit more in that. How how that's going to take shape? But but I think crypto is going to be a natural outgrowth to these divisions that are happening in the world. And and I think the divisions between us and China are not going to be healed quickly. I don't think you just elect Biden and the whole thing goes away. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, um, so um i think i think these two big players are scared of each other the way they were during the cold war and and they don't want to give dominance they don't trust the other side and um so there has to be an intermediate comes out out of somewhere and i think that intermediate is going to be the computer
1: yeah well i don't disagree um i was just on a podcast yesterday stevie and uh i said between precious metals and uh crypto i'm 12 percent in uh of my net worth um which is very high for most people in our business collectively yours and mine um five percent of that is crypto seven i mean five is uh precious metals silver and gold primarily a little platinum and the rest is crypto um and more or less five cryptos the biggest one is bitcoin but um, now some of my other little crap coins <laughs> have come, come back to life again. And, uh, you know, some of them are top 50 coins again. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, it, as you know, when, when crypto moves, um, and it moves because people don't trust central banks, don't want to see something degraded just because people want to bail somebody out, um, they go for crypto. And the more and more, I mean, think how small the number is of people that have really dipped their toe into crypto. Yeah. Um, and when you think about that, then you get the idea that uh, some of these predictions for crypto assets being, you know, like Bitcoin at 100,000 or whatever. Yeah, it's probably not this next year, probably not the next couple years, but I see a real case for some of these assets being worth a lot. Ethereum yeah. and Bitcoin are my primaries, but like I say, I have uh, three others that I don't want to talk about right now, but uh, yeah. they're rocking and rolling right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, do you want to talk about crypto now? So I can, sure. I can, can, can dive in into that. So Let's uh, dive into crypto. Yeah. So, um, so, so first I have to say, you know, I'm a big fan of crypto. I'm not a big fan of Bitcoin, right? so I'll explain why so is the, it
1: the defi or decentralized or why is it that you some people don't like the decentralization that most bitcoiners really push for is that what pushes against you
0: well the the, the problem with bitcoin is that it's actually it's getting more centralized over time right so yeah, so 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 this is this you don't hear very often they have this halving process which people uh, basically what happens is the miners that run the Bitcoin network, they get less rewards over time. It just and, halved, right? Yeah. And the way the consensus algorithm proof of work, consensus algorithm works, it requires more and more electricity. So, so the fundamental setup for Bitcoin is over time, the, the cost of mining a Bitcoin goes up, right? It goes up. So the price of Bitcoin has to go up if the price of gold, if Bitcoin goes down below the mining price, the miners have to sell to cover their bills. So that induces huge volatility, right? So that's the first thing to keep in mind. But, but the other problem is that this halving process forces these miners to invest in equipment constantly, right? They have to constantly invest in equipment, get better equipment, and so they become bigger and bigger. So, so what has happened over time, instead of having a lot of computers, right? Uh, instead of having a lot of computers, you have less and less computers. So Bitcoin is getting more centralized and becoming more like PayPal. And the other problem with it is like all these servers, all these miners are now in China, because that's where the electricity cost is. So I think of Bitcoin as a basically Chinese PayPal, right? It's, it, it's all running in China. China can, you know, can execute a fifty plus one attack or shut it down at any moment, or you know, cause a lot of volatility, right? So, I, I, uh, I would not recommend Bitcoin, right? Like, uh, I, I'm deeply against Bitcoin. It, it is not doing the, it is not doing what it's, it's, it's promising that it's going to do. So, um, so you know, Bitcoin. You have to think of Bitcoin. So, in, in this world these are all open source software so you gotta say like the code is open everybody can read it right and everybody can make a copy out of it right so bitcoin is the very first coin so if you think of it technologically it is the worst coin it's like it came out and it has the worst code it's like investing in the first iphone that came out right without any additional uh, improvements to it so uh, th- that is the other problem, so every other coin after that is a better coin right so so after bitcoin was created, you had these kind of forks they they made the, the algorithm a little better, a little faster, whatnot uh, you know bitcoin cash bitcoin s v Litecoin. So, so you have these forks right so they i 've always kind of had interest in them as a as a failover to bitcoin right so that 's your first generation crypto assets right. The second generation, which is far more interesting than Bitcoin, so Bitcoin, think of it as a US dollar, right? It's just the US dollar, a replacement for the US dollar, but the US dollar is nothing, right? What's important about America, why people use the US dollar, why the Russian oligarchs come to put their assets here is because you have a property rights system, right? The government can just easily come and take your money away, right? You have these laws, you have this structure um, um, which, which protects you. So, so, the promise of crypto is not the fact that you can have a dollar, is that you can build a, a decentralized a financial, alternative financial system, right? That, that's really the promise. But Bitcoin can't do that because you cannot program Bitcoin. You cannot program on top of Bitcoin. You will never program on top of Bitcoin. They, they don't make any changes to it. You know, the guys that run the code, they're, they're like Moses, you know. The 10 tablets came down. We don't change the code, right? These mm. are the, <laughs> that's it. It's never going to change. So, so if you want changes to the code, you have to do, you have to fork it and make changes to it. So different groups of people have to make changes to it. So the second generation. Roger Veer. Huh? Roger
1: Veer. Um, yeah, not, not the, right. the guys over at, uh, well, the guys over at Ethereum. Um, yeah. Joe Lubin and these guys um, yeah. over there.
0: Yeah, so so the second generation of crypto is Ethereum, right, which is basically it tries to build on Bitcoin and it says um, we're going to add a computer to it. So on top of the Bitcoin, on top of this blockchain, this transaction log, we're going to add two things. We're going to add an ability to create your own tokens, your many, many tokens. So not just one, you can have many tokens.
1: And then you have the
0: ability to create logic or a smart contract, right? So you can do logic. So so for example, one of the cases is, let's say you and I bet on the Cal Stanford game, right? You put 200 coins, I put 200 coins, based on the result of the game, one of us gets the coins, right? Mm -hmm. So, So you can program this type of situation. You can have a betting website written in Ethereum, right? So they have a virtual machine, they have a computer, and they have a special computer language, right? That you can do that. So that that opens up the world, That when people think about crypto, Bitcoin is not going to deliver you that world. Ethereum has the potential to deliver it, right? So that is this DeFi, decentralized financial system that we're talking about. So over the past couple of years, since Ethereum was put out, people have built these apps. You can like create tokens, you can lend them, you can get money for the tokens. Um, uh, you can short. So, so I don't want to go deep dive into DeFi because um, there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of scams and it's a very interesting space but um, it's, it's, you know, you, you see the outlines of a future alternative financial system. Now, now the problem with Ethereum is uh, so, so why is not Ethereum not sufficient, right? So Ethereum is a, you, you could think of it as a great investment but Ethereum has proven to have technical issues. So basically, because it uses the same proof of work algorithm as Bitcoin, and it modified but similar idea, transactions are costly to execute. So, um, all these DeFi apps, now that you've put on a bunch of DeFi apps, you have congestion issues, your network congestion, congestion issues. So, so they're trying to make a transaction, it takes a long time to do it, or it costs a lot of money, right? So, so it's a problem. You know, Ethereum is not big enough, you know, it is not capable enough to support that system that is promising, right? So that's the Gen 2 system, right? That we're talking, Gen 2 crypto. So now we're going to Gen 3 crypto, right? Generation 3 crypto, which are up-and-coming coins, which I think where people should be invested in. So I call these um, I have a term there they're I they call them like they're like Cryptofang, Uh I call them CPAC, right? So there's four coins you need to pay attention to. Um, so the first one is that they're Cardano, Polka Dot, Algorand, and Chainlink, CPAC, right? So Cardano is the basically all of these coins change this consensus mechanism from a proof of work where you basically use electricity to prove yourself that you're doing something. They use a a so-called proof of stake mechanism. So a stake is basically when you get some, when you buy some coins, you can delegate them to a miner. The miner is not called a miner, it's called a stake pool operator, right? So this, this, this stake pool operator is like, you know, think of it as parliament. You elect a representative in Congress who negotiates on your behalf, right, bills. So similarly, you delegate to the stake pool operator, right? And then he participates in his network, which generates consensus based on a computer. So, so this is a much faster way to generate transaction and much cheaper. You don't have to spend- All that uh, money
1: on electricity and computers.
0: Yeah. You know, Bitcoin- spends as much electricity as the country of Austria, right? I mean, it's insane. So, so this is with a very, with just a very small fraction, you can run this, this computer net, decentralized computer network and do everything that Ethereum promised that you can do. So, uh, so this is another very important point. This is the most important point, is this proof of stake mechanism is built to incentivize participation. So they pay you a so-called staking reward. So if you delegate your money, they pay you a staking reward. They pay you a yield to keep your money there. So with a lot of these coins, the yield is about five percent, right? So they pay six percent. The operator keeps a couple of percent. They give you five percent. With Polkadot, the yield is twelve percent, right? Now. So, uh, Check this out. A Schweikert from the Blockchain Caucus already issued a statement that this yield, this taking rewards, they're not gonna tax it as a, as a income, right? Like income. If you have income from a from a bond, you have to tax it at the uh, at the regular earned income level. This one is not gonna get taxed until you actually cash it in for, for dollars. So so that's a big deal. So you're gonna get to make income without without getting taxed it every year. So so you say, like, where does this yield come from, right? So The first thing you say, like, where does the money come from here, right? So, 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 so these generation three coins, they have improved their kind of Ponzi scheme design. So when they issue a coin, let's say there are a billion coins, one third of them are given for distribution, one third of them are kept as rewards, and one third of them are given to a foundation so they can hire developers to make the code better. So this reward pool is where the money comes from. So they've blocked it out in the beginning, and basically over time, they you know over a 20-30 year period, they're gonna give people money back, right? Mm-hmm. That's where the money comes from. It's basically that's how they design it. So, um, any questions about that so far? I, I can dive into the to the things. Okay. So so that, that's so oh, that's kind of. Oh, I loved
1: I loved your paper that you sent me, that had. Uh, your ratings for all those different levels, Gen 1, Gen 2, and Gen 3.
0: Yeah, so, so the Gen 3, they, they represent a major innovation, right? And they will basically uh, be able to do what Ethereum is promising to do, but can't do really, right? Because it, 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 it has, uh, you know, that people didn't know at the time, but now they're realizing it has constraints, it has capacity constraints. So, so, the, 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 so the, let's talk about these four coins. So the first coin is Cardano. It's uh, run by a, an Ethereum founder called Charles Hoskinson. I call him the Husk, But he's basically a university professor, former researcher. So his approach is saying, I want to build the perfect blockchain. So he is getting all these scientists to write academic papers, PhD peer-reviewed papers, how is the best thing to do everything, every single part of the blockchain. And then he gets coders to code this, this chain. So they, they came out this year, they have a wallet, you can transfer them out, they're decentralized. So Cardano is the first kind of major product to come out and basically has feature parity with Bitcoin. So if you're looking for a Bitcoin alternative, Cardano is the, is the first thing you look at, right? It basically has a feature parity with Bitcoin at this point. Over the next couple of years, they'll add feature parity with Ethereum, they'll add a virtual machine, Right, and then they'll make it. They'll go advanced. They'll have a a scalability module. Will make it much faster than Ethereum. Right. So Cardano is the first one. Right. So I I think also Cardano is going to be the network that's used by governments eventually because they everything the governments do needs to follow a PhD standard. Right. It has to be peer-reviewed science. The way the Fed. The way the Fed works. So. Cardano is the only network that they can walk into a room with a thousand PhDs and pass the test, right? So so that, that one you need to keep an eye. The second one is Polkadot. So the second founder of the creator of the Solidity Language and of the Ethereum virtual machine, so he split off. He was there in the beginning for Ethereum and then he split off. This is not gonna work. So he's creating a different system, which is called Polkadot. The idea there is you don't have just one blockchain, you have many blockchains. You have an internet of blockchains. So here, Polkadot is a system on which you can build many Ethereum-like blockchains. So if you have an app that overloads a blockchain, people can just go and spin off another blockchain, right, and do something. So you're gonna see next year that the hottest thing is gonna be these, they're called parachains or they're called subnets, you know, so uh, you're gonna have initial subnet offerings or, you know, initial parachain offerings, you know, I don't know what they're gonna call them, but basically you're gonna have these Ethereum-like chains that are gonna be coming to market, built on polka dots, right? So Gavin Wood is very go- good. So I have to use someone else. So uh, Hoskinson, I call the Steve Jobs of crypto. He's like Steve Jobs, he wants to make computing perfect. Gavin Wood, he's the Bill Gates of crypto, right? He wants to create tools, and he wants to make blockchains u- usable by everybody, um, you know, by developing sophisticated tools. So he's developing development tools. Um, so he has like, you know, both of these guys have thousands of developers that work for them, right? So if you look at blockchains, you gotta look at where the developer, where the armies of developers are congregating, right? Where they're going and doing work. They're doing work on Cardano and they're working on Polkadot, which has already has something like 40 or 50 projects on it before it's even like launched. So Polkadot is the second one you need to look at. Um, The third one um, that's big, that became big this year is Chainlink, right? So this one is run by a guy named uh, Sergei Nazarov, so I'll call him the Jeff Bezos of crypto. So, Chainlink is a data oracle system. So, what does that mean? If you have a smart contract, in example, you and me betting on the game, somebody needs to provide the data that the score, you know, Stafford beat Cal, right? Somebody needs to provide the other the way data. around. Huh? The right. other way around. <laughs> so, so, for example, I can go, if I know the guy that provides the data, I can go tell him, hey, you know what? Why don't you just, like, you know, change the score for a little bit the contract will execute, I'll get the money and then you're left for that, right? Mm-hmm. This is the type of thing that can happen in the real world. So, so you have to build a system that delivers trusted data. So that means you have to integrate data from multiple sources and you have to have some punishment if people provide along. So it's a complicated process, I don't want to go into it, but Chainlink is doing that work. It's massive work. And it's not only going to get used in crypto, it's going to get used in the real world once it's built. You know, you're going to use it in your world, MS Word app, in your Excel spreadsheet and so forth. So this one requires a lot of business acumen. You have to go and talk to everybody in the world. You have to explain the system. You have to de- integrate the data. That guy, very energetic guy, Sergey Nazarov, very smart guy. He is doing all of that work, that, that pounding the pavement work. That's why Chainlink was one of the best coins this year. So Chainlink is gonna be a data Oracle system, not only for Ethereum, they've already signed up to the Oracle system for Polkadot, right? So you see the, the lineage there, Polkadot yep. and Ethereum, right? That the, all these guys are connected. So the, 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 the fourth system that I'll mention just briefly is called Algorand. This one is built by a guy named Silvio Mikali, an MIT professor who is a Turing Award, award winner. Uh, Turing Award is basically the Nobel Prize for computer science. So this guy, all of a sudden, like, I don't know, he sees everybody else getting rich, so he built the system. And all of a sudden, it's like a better system than everybody else, potentially. So it doesn't have a lot of developer uh, people on it, but like it has solid academic credentials, solid technical credentials. Um, like it. Yeah. So that, that one is a low cap, and it, but it has a, I, I like what they're doing. Uh, the, the, the technology approach they're taking. So with these three coins, uh, so, so I think what's gonna happen over time is, uh, people are getting introduced to crypto, so I think you're gonna have people investing in Bitcoin. Then they're gonna learn about Bitcoin, they're gonna learn about its problems, then they're gonna say, oh look, at Ethereum sounds great, they're gonna invest in Ethereum, right? You're gonna have a DeFi system, so then at some point you're gonna have issues there, then everybody's all of a sudden gonna move to the gentry platforms. So if you look at them, um, you know. So, so and the, so, so the gentry platforms—you got to think of—they're a competitor not only to bond. So the bond people are going invest in gold, and the gold people are going to invest in crypto, right? They're going to invest in Bitcoin. H- however, the gentry platforms—they're s- going to be so powerful, and they're going to be such a trend, and people are going to make so much money that I think they're going to be a future competitor to FANG. To google to apple to microsoft to netflix uh, why do i think that because people are just going to make a lot of money there right and then the talent goes to where the money is and they have all these ones are have spectacular uh leaders right they're top leaders in, in the computer science big top leaders in the computer science industry so people will be excited to go work there so, so i think at some point you're going to see that happening and Again, you got to keep in mind, these cryptos, they pay a yield. So, so they have an advantage over Bitcoin and over Ethereum in that if you invest, you get paid yield. So people, it, the money that goes in there is going to be more sticky. So for example, I've invested in the CPAC, you know, it's going to draw down. I'm just buying more of it, you know, and, and, and you got to understand the thing with the yield, because of how it's structured, the yield becomes less over time. So you want to invest there first. You want to be the first one to invest in there.
1: What about uh, Libra? <laughs> I know it's not out there and, uh, you know, this is our Facebook coin, of course, that they were so nervous about when Zuckerberg went before Congress. So, so, so Libra,
0: Libra is a potential institutional response. I, I call it like an IMF coin. So so at some point the IMF wants its own, so the, Libra is basically IMF coin. Like it could, it has a potential to become an official IMF coin. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's like, a, you know, if you make money out of it, you know, but it, it's potential like a reserve currency, you know, if it's done right. But again, th- there's not enough detail. There's not enough, there's no product. I mean, there's nothing to talk about yet. Right. True. Uh, all the things that I talked to you about, there's a product, you know, <laughs> that, that you can invest in. So so it's a little bit hard to invest in these things. You have to open an account on Kraken. You have to get your own wallet. Um, at this point, it's it's not easy to, to, to invest in these things. Um, but, by the time it's easy, they're going to be a lot more expensive.
1: Yep. And uh, a lot of the upside will have been taken by somebody else.
0: Yeah. So so in the future, you're going to have these DeFi ecosystem. You're going to have, you know, crypto banks and crypto lenders. And, you know, all kind of, I don't want to go into that right now because it's kind you know, of a like wild Kraken West.
1: just filed, right? Huh? Kraken just filed to be a, a US bank, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, Kraken just filed to
0: be a... Yeah, Kraken is a great... Goldman is investment It's a great... Uh, like Coinbase, Coinbase and Kraken are the two things you need to you need to use. Coinbase is you can get money in the system very quickly. Then you can transfer them using USD coin to Kraken, and from there you can. Uh, uh, Kraken has the best staking staking ability, right? So if you want to stake Polkadot, if you want to stake, uh, um, you know, you, you can Chain do line. it on on Kraken. They, they, Kraken pays the highest, yield. so Coinbase stakes, Tezos, you know, some some of the other smaller coins, but they don't give you the best yield. Kraken like keeps a lot of the yield for themselves. Or uh, sorry, Coinbase keeps a lot of the yield for themselves. Kraken is the one that gives you all the yield. All right. Stevie, I can't
1: thank you enough for uh, a wide ranging discussion from uh, the ups and downs of the market to uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, digital assets, first, second, and third generation of those crypto assets. Fabulous. Uh, could I ask you just one question before we go? Yeah, yeah. Gold. <laughs> Gold and silver, but you can take one if you'd rather. Do you guys follow that other than, you know, oh, it traded 2000 to the ounce. Do you guys follow and or it at all? Or have you given up on precious metals for the uh, uh digital asset side
0: no i i i do trade gold uh, i do trade gold in some of the some of the safer accounts uh you know g- gold is a long for right now it hasn't reached its um you know it hasn't reached my price target it's gonna go up for a while but gold is uh you know if the market goes down gold's gonna go down too you know so so you you if you have a massive crash in the market you're gonna get you're gonna buy gold a lot cheaper So so gold is not a hedge, crypto is not a hedge. uh, You know, right now the only hedge is cash or VIX. Um, If if, if things go down, is there a DAF for cash? Um, The the system is interconnected. So they're they're selling everything, everything goes down the same. But, you know, if you're gonna buy something after the market goes down, you wanna buy gold because gold's gonna go up first. Um, And and gold gold hasn't, you know, the way they've expanded the, the balance sheet, it has more upside. Um, at least 50% more upside. Cool.
1: Hey, Stevie, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, Uh, thank you for
0: inviting me. Uh, You know, my condolences for your father. Uh, You know, he was a great man. Sorry to hear the bad news. Well, Uh, I'm sure his legacy lives on through
1: you. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, whatever I do will pale in comparison, Stevie, but I really appreciate the sentiment. He was a fun guy. Um, A real renaissance man, a guy that, you know, played in the Rose Bowl, as well as uh, transplanted kidneys, livers, pancreas, and taught thousands of doctors, saved, you know, tens of thousands of lives uh, through his surgeries and the people he trained. So um, it is truly appreciated. I don't just take it lightly when somebody says, uh, you know, my condolences. Thank you very much. So... Folks, uh, that's Stevie Vicks. We'll have a link to uh, his site and hopefully uh, more conversations about crypto with Stevie Vicks himself. That's his handle on Twitter, too. You'll see this on the website. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Believe.